Hello and welcome to On the Road with the Legal Talk Network. I'm Patrick Palace and it's a pleasure to be here with you. Today we're recording from the Expo Hall floor at the ABA Tech Show 2020 in the Windy City and slightly cold, I might add, in Chicago, Illinois. Joining me, I have two guests, Shannon Salter and also Jonathan Virk. Welcome both of you, glad you could be here today. Thanks for having us. Before we get started, I just want to give a moment for each of you to tell us a little bit about yourselves. Our audience knows a little of your background, and then we're going to jump right into our topic. We're here to talk about Shannon. Let me start with you. Tell us a little about yourself. Sure. Uh, I'm the chair of the British Columbia Civil Resolution Tribunal. It's the first online tribunal in Canada, the first one in the world when we opened. And what makes it unique is that we're part of the public justice system, but people can still access uh, dispute resolution services from their smartphone, up to and including getting a court order. Right. And how long have you been involved with this? I was appointed in 2014, so shockingly coming up on six years now. I'm looking forward to sitting and chatting a little more about the CRT. John, let me turn to you. Tell us about your background and uh, how it is you're here today. Sure. Well, I actually, I don't come from a legal background. I uh, spent 25 years in the entertainment and media business, spent a couple years as executive vice president of Shazam. But uh, since then, I co-founded a company called Hyphenus with my partners, Judge Cheryl Ellsworth and Eric Weiss. And Hyphenus is an intelligent dispute resolution technology that combines tools that optimize complex relationships with on-demand mediation uh, so that people can resolve those disputes in real time to keep their relationships uh, positive and moving forward. And underpinning that is intelligence that learns not just how people fall into dispute, but how they're resolved so that we can start to predict and prevent future conflicts from happening. See, what I love about this is that we have both arms of this, right? We have you, Jonathan, on the private side offering online dispute resolution. And then, Shannon, we have you on the public government side doing the same thing. And I. I want to talk about this interaction a little bit, but before we do, Shannon, tell me a little bit about what online dispute resolution looks like in British Columbia, a little bit of how this system is, is working that's being created by the courts. Yeah, so we're an administrative tribunal, or what you folks in America would call an administrative court. And for anybody who has a condominium dispute, so a problem with their neighbor, a small claims under $5,000, Canadian, not American, or a motor vehicle personal injury dispute, the process is to come to the CRT. We have mandatory jurisdiction over those disputes, and you start by using your smartphone or your tablet or your computer, or offline if you want, and finding out more about your claim using an expert system. So we ask you questions, and then we use your answers to give you plain language legal information. Hopefully that helps you resolve your dispute, because we give you tools to do that as well. But if you can't, you can seamlessly apply for dispute resolution from the tribunal. We focus on negotiation and mediation to resolve as many disputes as possible collaboratively. And then if necessary, you can upload your evidence and submissions, and a tribunal member will make a binding decision and effectively a court order. Now you've touched on this, but what really makes this different, this system that, that you've put together and, and the CTR has created, versus what we may find in any local or municipal court system that has and offers other kinds of dispute resolution options? Well, in short, we've fundamentally redesigned the entire dispute resolution process using human-centered design. So we've started with this blank slate we were given by the legislature, and then we took empirical evidence, user testing, working really closely with community legal advocates to make evidence-based decisions about how we resolve disputes. And where that led us 
was to online dispute resolution, focusing on collaboration, focusing on plain language, offering culturally competent services. Really our goal is to go to where people are and bring the justice system to them instead of forcing them to bend over backwards to fit into a system that just wasn't designed for them at all. And so human-centered design means all kinds of things offline and online, but one of the online things it means is the ability to sit on your couch and manage your entire dispute from your smartphone or from your device. I mean, modern courts have a, a whole laundry list of problems accessibility, you have to go to court and park your car, take time off work, find daycare, whatever it is, and then and go to the court, go there over and over and over again, not know what the system's like, have to have an attorney. I mean, I think we can go on and on. The idea that you're starting a system that is based on a consumer-centric model is what makes this really quite different, isn't it? Exactly, and it's built on the idea that you shouldn't have to do any of those things and you shouldn't have to hire a lawyer, you can if you want to, but it is possible to take complex legal ideas and complex processes and distill it into a format that is readily available to people on their own schedule and that accounts for the set of skills and abilities and challenges and limitations that we all have as human beings. And because we're part of the public system, our requirement, our obligation is to make this accessible to everybody and that means we have to count for all kinds of different circumstances and that's why it's been so important to work with these community legal advocates who represent the most vulnerable people in our society and we work with them first and foremost. We center this around them and then after we're satisfied that, that it works for them, we move on to testing with everyday people and then ultimately the legal profession as well. So two questions and a little bit unrelated but one is could I pull up my iPhone and go through this system during my lunch hour or breaks at, at work and resolve my case? Yes. You can do er take every step along the way when it works for you. So that might be in the evening, it might be on the weekends, it might be when your kids are in bed. And if you're in a dispute with somebody who's a shift worker and has a completely different schedule, they can respond at a time that it works for them. And the benefit of that is not only that it avoids all of the cost and expense and complexity we talked about, but it also both accelerates the dispute resolution process and slows it down so that people can think before they respond. If they're given an offer, they can consult with a friend right. or family member or even a lawyer. They can sleep on it and then they can respond. So it, our resolution rate is very high for collaborative dispute resolution and then a binding court order is there if you need that. And what's the scope? You started talking about condominiums where this project began, what, in 2016, right? So how have we expanded from there? What's the scope of the jurisdiction of the types of claims that you now look at? We started with these condominium disputes, so everyday neighbor disputes over barking dogs and paint color and how the condo board was managing money. About half our population in British Columbia lives in a condominium, but people had to go to our superior court to have even these minor neighbor disputes resolved. And it's just not proportional. And so that community was very vocal about wanting a different way to resolve disputes, and that really gave birth to the idea of the tribunal. And then every year since, we've inherited a new area of jurisdiction. I say inherited, but we're given a new area of jurisdiction by the legislature through statute. And we expand it to small claims, and then now a very large expansion into almost all personal injury motor vehicle disputes in British Columbia. And so as a design choice, it makes sense to start small and build up, and to start with problems where the pain point is very high for the public, but the stakes are pretty low overall. And give me a sense for how many 
I don't really want to call them litigants, participants in this process you have touched and how many are in the system right now, say by way of inventory? Sure. We publish our statistics on our website, civilresolutionbc.ca, every month if you're interested in following along. But so far we've resolved, we've handled over 15,000 disputes. And wow. uh, we are resolving small claims disputes in about 86 days from start to finish, which is substantially faster than uh, most small claims courts, at least in our jurisdiction. You can see our inventory as we go along. So we get about 500 new disputes uh, a month right now. And again, we resolve them pretty rapidly through the process. We expect this to increase substantially with motor vehicle personal injury disputes, though, and it may increase as high as 30 or 40,000 disputes every year. Now, your system for the moment doesn't, doesn't include family law matters, is that right? That's correct. Family matters are not within our jurisdiction. Let me, with, with that, bridge over to Jonathan for a minute. Jonathan, you've created a system that's a private system for people to opt into versus what they might have to go through in a normal court system. And I love your story about how this came up. Would you share that with us? Sure. So, uh, as I mentioned, I, I, I don't at all come from this space. But about seven years ago, I started going through what ended up being a pretty brutal litigated divorce. And I got a front row seat to see just how tough the system can be for people who have yeah. to go through it. And as bad as it was for us, it was devastating for our kids who for four years watched their parents go through this system only to be spit out way worse off than we were when we went in. And I remember sitting in the gallery there in the court, looking around and listening and, and you know, frankly, day after day. And a couple of things struck me. Number one, most of what people were arguing about, and in fact, 80%, as it turns out, had to do with co-parenting issues. Everyday, ordinary co-parenting issues. Nothing to do with law, but having to manage and, and, and ask judges to make decisions for them about parenting. And the other thing that I noticed was that the vast majority of people, about 85%, were self-represented which meant two things. Number one, they didn't have somebody to let them know that this is not the right environment for them to be in to resolve the kinds of disputes that they actually had. And number two, we were clogging up a system that people who had actual, legitimate, very real and serious legal issues, making it very difficult for them to get the attention that they need and deserve. So I connected with former presiding judge Cheryl Ellsworth and uh, my, my partner, Eric uh, Weiss, who comes from the um, education tech uh, uh, space. And we created this tool that would not just, you know, very much like Shannon said, not just digitize an existing process, but actually rethink and reimagine what a successful resolution process would be from the end user point of view. From, you know, frankly, from my point of view and from the people that I was sharing that gallery with. Now you've also retooled what this whole resolution process looks like and the litigation forward system that we have now and really retooled it. And one of the things that I've heard you say that I think is, is fascinating is that modern justice is transactional. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if you can kind of put that in terms of how you took that idea and applied it to an online dispute resolution system that anybody in family law can use. Sure. Well, you know, typically when we talk about online dispute resolution, again, not in every case, but typically, Online dispute resolution is a tool that is used by the organization, whether it's eBay or the courts, to resolve disputes as quickly as possible. It's an efficiency tool that is you know, a much better user experience for people who have to go through it. But at the end of the day, this is a tool, the, the sort of end user, the key stakeholder, is the organization that is in charge of administering justice, right? 
Now, that does amazing things, and as, as Shannon said, you get through the process much quicker, much easier, with much less, with far less resources expended by the organization or the court or, or, or the company or what have you. When, you. when you think about the different kinds of relationships that people have, there are transactional relationships and there are complex relationships. Transactional being those relationships where there is, or those disputes, I'm sorry, where there is a, people don't know each other, they have a dispute, that dispute is gonna be resolved with a transaction and then they're gonna go on not knowing each other again, right? But when you have people in complex relationships where there's an actual vested interest in the quality and longevity of that relationship and outcome of that relationship, the court system doesn't really work for those kinds of, uh, for, to, to foster positive relationships. So when you're dealing with kids and parenting on an ongoing basis, the average parenting relationship is nine years, coming back to court every time you have a dispute which is what people end up doing, is not conducive to fostering a optimal relationship. And we know that when you are litigating through the courts and exposing your kids to ongoing conflict and using the, you know, relying on the courts, that has negative impact on kids and, a, and, and leads to negative outcomes. There's a piece of this that really is not just resolution for this particular issue, but resolution for the life of the possible right, yeah. case, right? The yeah. life of the children, yeah. the parents have to work this out. The, the three pain points here, right, are for people coming in the system, time and money and knowledge. And we don't have time to go through really each of those in detail. I guess my question is about the success rate. How are you doing on giving people the tools they need to resolve cases? Are they able to do it in a timely fashion compared to other court systems? And what does this cost people to use it? Our average time to resolution for a typical dispute is 20 minutes. That could that's, be- That's amazing, 20, 20 minutes. 20 minutes, yeah. Now that could happen asynchronously, it could take up to two weeks to get there, but on average it takes about 20 minutes to resolve a, a, an issue. For a full parenting plan, which includes a parenting time schedule, a holiday and vacation plan, and basic ground rules of parenting, it takes about two hours. That can take 18 to 36 months in a typical court in a you know average jurisdiction across the country. So you know we're 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 really proud that we can get this done in two hours. Again, asynchronously, so it could take you know two weeks and or so. And what about to do cost? It. What does this cost people yeah, to, to so get into this system? So you know there are some jurisdictions, some courts that are you know making it available for free to their litigants, and that's decreasing the fund the, the, the overall costs to the court and by diverting these cases that are really more about parenting. So to, in some lucky jurisdictions the courts are making it available for free. Uh, some are passing that cost on to uh, the, the, the litigants, but you know, most cases it's free. If you, you know, go to the app store, it's $12.99 a month, and that includes unlimited on-demand mediation. I love that the, that the price of this, I mean, you compare it to what lawyers may charge at, I don't know, $150 to $400 an hour, uh, coming <laughs> not, back to not court. Not in LA. <laughs> right, or, or more, okay, or more. Or $1,200 an hour? Yeah. That's amazing, yeah. That, that being able to solve problems that $13 a, a month and in 20 minutes or two weeks is, is a shocking difference. Yeah. So let me ask both of you this, because I know this is for those listeners who are hearing this podcast who are lawyers. <laughs> they're saying, you know, I don't know about this. It sounds like <laughs> you're, you're, you're chipping into my practice. You're taking away what I do for a living. And we all know that you have to have me as a lawyer to represent you or you're not getting good representation. So Shane, let, me, let me put that to you first. Are the people that are coming in, A, are you really taking business from lawyers? And B, are people getting better quality, same quality, less quality services? 
The entire system is designed so you don't need a lawyer. We don't think you should have to have a lawyer to navigate the small claims process or even solve a neighbor dispute, for example. Nonetheless, people are welcome to get legal advice, and for the motor vehicle disputes, they're welcome to have a lawyer as well. I think the question for lawyers is, what is my value proposition in the context of a system where most of the complexity is removed, where most of the time requirement is removed, and where the barriers to entry are a lot lower through plain language and through asynchronous communication. And I think there absolutely is a value proposition that lawyers can have, and it represents a huge opportunity to access a, a very large segment of the market that is just not able to afford any legal services at all. It will require lawyers to be entrepreneurial, to be uh, curious, and to think really carefully about what the value proposition is for lawyers when at least part of that is predicated on a public justice system which has not changed for hundreds of years. In, in a world of access to justice where the gap has never been greater and is growing and there can't be enough pro bono lawyers out there doing this work and there's not enough lawyers for every person. How big a piece do you think this is to answering the call to bridge that gap? I think as a model is pretty compelling. We've been around for three and a half years. We've handled 15,000 disputes. The legislature in British Columbia has had the confidence to expand our jurisdiction year after year. We also survey people who've gone through it and consistently month over month well over 80% of people say that we treated them fairly and would recommend it to others. So we're still a little corner of the justice system, but as a model, we're being looked at by other jurisdictions around the world who are looking at this as a way to bridge that some of those access issues that plague our public justice systems everywhere. It's really critical work. It's What you're doing is so very exciting, I think, for models for everyone across the country, and I hope it continues to grow. Jonathan, may I ask you this, where do lawyers fit in? Is this, a, is this a boon for lawyers? Are you helping them? Are you taking their business? Are you sharing a market? I, explain to me how you see this. You know, the, the fact of the matter is that 85% of people who go through the family system are self-represented. But there is a, you know, a large community of, of family law attorneys that, you know, are really interested in modernizing their practice improving the client experience and making it easier for their clients to get through the system. Now there are things that lawyers can do and can do very, very, very well. Those transactional things are you know, right in their wheelhouse. But when it comes to the ongoing parenting stuff, you know, there, there aren't a lot of mental health parenting courses that are, that, that are offered in, in many law schools that we know of. And by offering their clients co-parenter, as an example, it helps their clients manage and take care of a lot of that parenting stuff and create those foundational agreements without eating into that lawyer's retainer. So ultimately, the, the lawyer is able to focus on, their, on the legal issues, keep more of that retainer, and not get bogged down by that emotional, highly charged parenting stuff that, you know, really leads to, you know, A, poor outcomes for families and kids, but you know, that's where people have, you know, poor experiences with lawyers. So if we can eliminate that and give them a better opportunity to manage and resolve their own parenting disputes, have their lawyer connected. Uh, on Co-Parenter, you, you keep your lawyer connected at all times. It is a tool to communicate and streamline all of that info and communication with the lawyer. They can, you know, weigh in on, uh, on agreements, give feedback on how you're doing as far as reaching agreements with your, with your, with your co-parent, whether they're represented or not. But ultimately, it really frees up the lawyer to focus on the legal substance and really practice at the top of their license. Shannon, in just a sentence or two, what's next? Where is CTR going? What can we expect? 
Our goal uh, for the next year as we embark in yet another rapid implement implementation phase is to, again, work with community legal advocates and work with stakeholders to make sure that we're implementing the new more recent area of jurisdiction that we've been given by the legislature as accessibly as possible and giving effect to those human-centered design principles. But we're never going to stop with that work. Our focus is continuous improvement. We're always looking at how in an agile, iterative way we can improve our efforts to discharge our mandate, which is to improve access to justice for people in British Columbia. And Jonathan, what is what is next? Is Co-Parenter expanding? Is there a next step? What can we expect to see from your, you and your company in the future? Yeah, so we always built uh, Co-Parenter around a, a framework that would be expandable to other areas where complex relationships interface with the legal sector. So, you know, landlord-tenant disputes, definitely on our roadmap, um, HR, elder care. You know, our tool right now helps parents manage and organize decisions about their kids. Flipped on its head, it becomes a platform that allows siblings to manage and coordinate decisions about their aging parents. So that's one thing that we're definitely um, targeting and we're really excited about. Right now, what we're doing is we're working with a lot of court jurisdictions um, and court case management systems to integrate so that when people make ongoing agreements and they're living their day-to-day -day lives, those agreements, that co-parenting activity, those um, stipulated agreements can get filed directly into their case system without ever having to go down to the courthouse, without ever having to um, you know, park their car, take the day off of work, and without having to deal with the stress and anxiety of heading to the court. Well, I think it's fair to say what I'm hearing from both of you is really we're at the beginning of what this process could look like in Canada and, and certainly certainly in the U.S. as this evolves. And I'm, I'm thankful the two of you have put your energy and resources into creating these systems to help bridge the access to justice gap and show us yet another way that we can serve our community and serve people in it. So thank you for the work that you have, you have done. With that, it looks like we've reached the end of the road for this episode. I want to thank both Shannon Salter and, and uh, Jonathan Burke for joining us today. If our listeners have questions or wish to follow up, Shannon, how can I find you? They can find the tribunal at civilresolutionbc.ca and they can find me on Twitter and the tribunal. I'm at Shannon and Salter and the tribunal's at Civ Res Tribunal. And Jonathan, where do we reach you? You can check out our website at coparenter.com or you can reach me at Jonathan, J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N, at coparenter.org. And also I want to thank you, our listener, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app. I'm Patrick Pallas. Until next time, thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook. Or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Uh -huh.